We are in the Gospel of Luke. If you're new to Revolution, we like to study books of the Bible at a time and, and study them the, the, and teach them the way they're written, one verse at a time. And our scripture reader this morning is Patrick Ward. Good morning, Patrick. How are you? And uh, just a reminder that we will have question and answers, so you can text in your question anytime to my number right there on the screen. All right, Patrick, read God's word for us this morning, and y'all follow along. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not, and not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. <laughs> he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when a, a flood rose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a certain a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not be troubled, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had seen had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we desperately need your help. Uh, the word of God is uh, supernatural and powerful, and we are just natural. And without your supernatural help, we cannot fully comprehend and definitely cannot live what's being prescribed here today. So help us uh, open our hearts open our minds, help us to lay aside all sin that would blind us from seeing what we need to see. Help us uh, to set aside all pride that would make us resistant to change. And Lord, may we see what Jesus is teaching here this morning so that we can glorify him. In his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. There was a young rebellious teenager who was arguing with his dad and he said, I am tired of people telling me what time to get up and when to, when to, uh, go to work and what to do and how to cut my hair and how to dress. I'm just going to run away and join the Marines. <laughs> Authority is something you always have in your life. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States or, or a janitor or you know, a teacher. Whatever you do in life, you will always be under authority. 
and not all and all authority comes from God according to Romans chapter 9 and we are under that authority in different ways and sometimes we're in a position of authority and today's message is really all about that it's about authority and here's how we're going to break it down there's the question about authority Jesus asked the question why do you call me Lord Lord but you don't do what I say it's a question of authority and then there's a picture of being under authority which he does with the building of the house and he gives two examples one that's under authority and one that's not under authority and then he gives a real-life illustration of a story that actually happened of an example of someone who was under authority, which was the centurion. So let's jump right in and let's talk about this question of authority. He asked the rhetorical question, why? Why do people bother to say, oh, Jesus, you're my Lord, Lord, Lord. And, and in, in Hebrew and in Greek, when you repeat something, it's for emphasis, and so Jesus would always go around saying, truly, truly, or verily, verily. And in, if you really want to emphasize, you not only said it twice, you said it three times. When it's referring to God's greatest attribute, what do the angels sing? Holy, holy, holy. Okay. So when people are saying Lord to Jesus, which was acknowledging him to be in control, and they repeat it twice, they're, they're emphasizing that Lord, Lord, but then they turn around and don't do what he's asking them to do. It'd be like showing up to work and the boss says, okay, hey, get started over there and get all those things moved over here. And you're like, no, nah, no, no, thanks. You're like, are you on the payroll? <laughs> you know, and you're just like, no, I'm going to do what I want to do today. We, obviously, that's absurd, right? And so Jesus is asking the question of, but why? Why would people do that? Why? What is going on in people? That are, are people that dumb? I don't, I don't think that's the case. Why would anyone claim to be a Christ follower, but not actually obey Christ. It'd be like saying, I'm an Astros fan. Well, have you ever been to a game? No. You, wear their, you watch the games at home? No, not really. Do you know who plays on the team? No, I haven't kept up with it. But you call yourself an Astros fan. Okay, there's, there's obviously a real serious disconnect, and it sounds silly, but this is what people do all the time. Um, let me give you several reasons why, and, and this isn't an exhaustive list. There's probably more reasons why people do it than what I'm going to present to you. But just from studying Scripture, here's what I see. There's the religious that want the appearance of being Christian, but not actually have to live it. It looks good to be Christian. My family's Christian. You know, I, I got married at the church. My grandmother got married at that church. All kinds of religious reasons, but I really, in the end, do my own thing. So for religious appearance, some people do it. Number two, I believe easy believism has deceived many into a false profession. I've, I've met, unfortunately, lots and lots of people who say, oh yeah, I remember when I was at this church and they said, who wants to be saved? And, and I raised my hand and they said, okay, great, you're going to heaven. And it's like, what? They made it that easy? Was there anything about the, the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ? Were, were you asked to repent of your sins? Sin, no, what? It was just like, hey, trust Jesus, amen. Okay, great, pray this prayer. I remember one, one time years ago when I was a youth pastor, there was a young lady, lady named Carrie. And some of you have heard the story before, I won't tell you the whole details, but she was troubled, had a lot of really bad things going on in her life. And uh, she came to me one time in tears and she was just telling me all kinds of bad things that had happened to her. And I just, I wanted to know if she was saved. And I said, you know, have you ever been saved, Carrie? And she said, well, yeah, I got saved at this church down the road. They were having a meeting, and, I, and she said, you know, who wants, they said, who wants to go to heaven? She said, I do. 
So they said, come forward. And she said, ask God into your heart. And she said, so I asked God into my heart. I said, well, who is God? And I asked her about Jesus. She knew nothing about Jesus. She knew nothing about why Jesus died on the cross. She knew nothing. She was told to ask God into her heart. That is not the gospel. And that is, unfortunately, in our country and in our world today, sending millions of people to hell because they're told you do this and you'll go to heaven. And this is not found in the Bible. This easy believism, just you know, shake the pastor's hand, fill out a card, go forward, say a quick prayer or something like that. That is not what Christianity teaches. And so you have a lot of people who claim to be Christian. Oh, I got saved back when I was whatever age, but nothing in their life even comes remotely close to living the Christian life. And it's just like, again, saying I'm an Astros fan, but nothing seems to add up. Number three, many will claim to be spiritual, but not religious, and they do that in order to escape authority. Oh, I'm spiritual. I believe in God, whatever. And it's like, but why would you claim that? It's because if I never have to connect with a church family, if I never have to be in organized religion, then I'm not accountable to anybody. I can do whatever I want to do. And again, once it, the problem is it's escaping authority. And it's not like we're a cult and we want to run every minute of your life, okay? But we are accountable one to another, you know? If, if uh, Ryan is over here and he's struggling with something and Charles says he's struggling, he can go put his arm around and say, hey, let's pray about this. Let's get this together. Let's fix this. Instead of just being like a lone ranger doing whatever you want to do, and not have anybody speaking into your life. Not anybody saying, hey, we can do better than this. And so claiming to be spiritual but not religious is just a, a, um, a scapegoat. <clears throat> Number four, people want Jesus as Savior but not as Lord. You know, a fire insurance policy. Of course I don't want to go to hell. Quick, play this prayer, and then boom, I accept Christ as my Savior but not as my Lord. And of course that's a whole issue in fact. Carl and I had a, Curtis, I'm sorry, had an, uh, a really good discussion about lordship salvation. And it's really one of those complicated things. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's two sides of the same coin. You can't say, Jesus, I want your life insurance policy, but I don't want anything what you want me to do. I don't think that is, is true salvation. I, I think that's a scapegoat as well. And it's a false profession. In other words, we want God on my terms, but not on his terms. And that's why Jesus, when the rich young ruler came to him, Jesus identified his idol was his money. And he says, what do I need to do to go to the kingdom of heaven? And he said, you know what? You need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he knew he wasn't willing to do that. And the guy went away sad and didn't become a follower of Christ because his idol, what he truly worshipped, that he was not willing to give up, was his, was his money. So you ask the question, why? And there's some reasons why. And of course, they're saying, Lord, Lord. They're emphasizing, yes, you're the boss, but I'm not going to do what you tell me. It's totally an oxymoron. So what are some things that Jesus has told us to do? You tell me. Here's a chance for us to talk back. What's something Jesus has commanded us as followers of Christ that we should do? What's some things that he's asked us to do on a, on a daily basis or on a regular basis? You tell me, Michaela. Love your enemy. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to love my enemies, but no, I'm not doing it. I know Jesus said to, but I'm not. I can't forgive that person. No way. Good one. Who else had one? What does Jesus tell us to do? Pray. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to pray, but yeah, you know, I just tend to fall asleep. And man, I got to get to work. And 
so forth. What else? Love your neighbor as yourself. Do I even know my neighbor's name, you know, in today's culture? What else? Spread the good news. Tell it, yeah, but that's embarrassing, Tori. Oh, gosh, you know. And hey, who am I to force my belief on other people? Absolutely, yes, yes. We're supposed to, to memorize Scripture. We're supposed to study it, meditate upon it, and all that. But, you know, we say, oh, I can't memorize Scripture, you know. We can memorize songs, country music songs, left and right. We know every word. We maybe can know the Bible. Boom. Had, had, is it Sunday? <laughs> yes. Yeah, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You know, Rob? Be of good cheer, right? Don't complain. <laughs> I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And yet we say, yeah, I know, but, and we have all of our excuses. Could the root problem be you're really, truly not a believer when you're not doing what Jesus told you to do? And again, please don't hear what I'm not saying. You don't have to do things to be saved. The doing of them is proof that you are saved. If an apple tree is bringing forth apples, boom, you know what kind of tree it is. If the tree is bearing no fruit, you have no idea what it is. And it may be dead, there may be no life in that tree. Jesus um, says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, he says, on that day, what day is that? Judgment day. On, that, on judgment day, many, not just a few, many, and I think the word many here means the majority will say to me, Lord, Lord, same words, well, didn't we prophesy in your name and we cast out demons in your name and did many mighty works in your name? And I, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. People saying, Lord, Lord, no personal relationship with Christ. And he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So why do people say, Lord, Lord, but don't do the things? That's the question that needs to be answered. Number two, he gives us a picture of what it means to be under authority. And he says, everyone. Okay, so this is, there's not an exception to this, to this principle he's about to teach here. Everyone, everyone who professes to Christ, okay, who comes to me, in order to be saved, you have to come to Christ, okay? And then he goes on to say, to me specifically, some people will say, it doesn't matter what you believe, it's just as long as you're sincere. And that statement is sincerely wrong, okay? There are people who are devout Muslims, devout Buddhists, Hindus, whatever, and people will say, well, do I have, do I have to go to your church or do I have to believe Christianity to be a good person? No, you don't. There's lots of good people relatively speaking, when you compare people to people. But being a Christian is not being good. It's the result of being a Christian. But a lot of people have this false understanding that if I am good and I do this, this, and this, God will love me. No, God loves you, period. Okay? But what you are not trying to do is earn your salvation. You're not trying to be good in order to get to heaven. You're going, you should be good because you know you're going to heaven. But what we truly need to do is come to Christ. Not the Christ of our own imagination. Well, my Jesus wouldn't hurt anybody. My Jesus wouldn't send anybody to hell. Well, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. You have to accept Jesus for who he is. <clears throat> so if I said, um, do you know Nathan Colin Jinsack? I'd say, oh, yeah, I know Nathan. He's about six foot four and uh, loves the, t the, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, 
and I, he's a lawyer, right? And you're like, no, you have the wrong Nathan Collagensack, okay? He, he's a little bit shorter, <laughs> loves the Cowboys, and works for a fire, what's it, what do you, like fire security? Yeah. So I can sit there and say, well, the, the Nathan I know is all this, and I can pour into my imagination all the things I want Nathan to be, but that's not who Nathan is. If you want to get to know him personally, you've got to hear what he has to say about himself. And Jesus identified himself in the scriptures, and if you don't like the Jesus of the Bible, there's no other Jesus available to save you. So Jesus says, you need to come to me, not just come to God in general. And see, people, that's where people like to draw the line. You can talk about God all day long with people, and they're like, oh, that's cool. As soon as you talk about Jesus, they get offended because Jesus was exclusive. Jesus is like, no, I'm right, they're wrong. And people don't like that. That's bigoted, that's closed-minded, that's all these different things. But Jesus said, no, I am the way to heaven, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, period. And man, they didn't like that. They didn't like it then. They don't like it today in our culture now. And so what, what, is, what people need to do is they come to him and they hear his words. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, it was interesting. As soon as I finished my sermon and sent a text to Matt to let him know it's done, then I started checking email, and there's uh, a text uh, email from, from Carl. Like, why am I calling you Carl? There's Carl. Curtis. Curtis Carr. And he sent me a little outline that he had done of this same passage. And it, we had a lot of things in common, and this was one of them, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so that's why, again, our culture is very resistant, not only to the exclusivity of Jesus, they're, they're resistant to the words of Jesus. Because what's happening when you're hearing the word of God? The Holy Spirit of God is using it to convict your heart of sin. That's what Jesus said. I'm setting you another comforter. And one of his main jobs is to convict the world of sin. So why do people not like to hear scripture? Because it makes them feel guilty. And it's like, but isn't guilt a good thing? Yes, it is. Because guilt makes you stop doing wrong. Guilt makes you make changes. Guilt allows you to say, hey, God, I need help. I need you to come in my life and fix this sin. But that's why many times, like it used to be in our culture, you can invite people to church. I thought, okay, sure, I'd go. And nowadays, some people will still say yes, but most people, inviting them to church is like inviting a criminal to the police station. Why would I want to go there? <laughs> just makes me feel guilty. I'm already in trouble. Why would I want to feel worse about it? And so we need to hear the words of Christ. And John 5, 24, this is super important. Truly, truly, he says that for emphasis, I say to you, whoever hears my word, and look what happens next, and believes in him who sent me, has eternal life. Notice the order. Nothing's wrong, Siri. What is that? That is so weird. They're listening to everything you say. <laughs> Hearing the word of God produces the belief. The belief produces eternal life. That's the order Jesus produces right here. And so we need people to hear the word of God. When you're talking to lost people and you share your testimony, that's wonderful. Please do that. But you know what they need to hear? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Most of you know that by heart. And the word of God is what's the seed that plants in the heart that produces life. People need to hear the scriptures. That's why we want people to hear the, the, the gospel being preached. And it says he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. The word of God is key. 
everyone that comes to me and hears my words and then does them. James talks about how ridiculous it would be to a man looking in a mirror, seeing what's wrong with his appearance, and then walking away as if he never saw it. When we study the Word of God, when we meditate on the Word of God, when we hear preaching, when we listen to podcasts, whatever it is, we're getting exposed to the Word of God, we're looking in a mirror, and we see what is wrong with ourselves. We see two things, actually. We see Christ, and we see how we don't match up to Him. And so when we want to become more Christ-like, we spend more time in the Word of God, and that produces action. That produces fruit, or it should. We, we, should, we should take what we hear on Sunday mornings, what we hear on Wednesday nights, what we hear in Life Group on Thursday night or on Tuesday night, we should take that and say, hey, I want to do this. I want a plan of action. I don't want to just have my... It came back on while we milk, milk this for a little bit, and then I'll go to that one. Okay. Hearing produces salvation. Salvation produ produces the doing. Verse 47 says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. So I'm going to give you an illustration here, a picture of being under authority. He's like a man building a house. He dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. So there's dirt, there's layers of dirt, and if you dig deep enough, you find the bedrock. That's what you build the foundation upon. And in Ephesians, I believe Jesus is giving us a picture that Paul picks up on later. I don't think it's coincidence that Paul uses the same language referring to the house that God builds being the church. He said the household of God, which is the church, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. A cornerstone was like a, a, a perfectly shapen rectangle or cube that you would place in the corner, and you could get all right angles from all directions to make sure everything in that house was level based on how the cornerstone was laid. And he's saying that's the way the church is, the house that God is building. It has a foundation. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they, talking about the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Some translations say the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread, which I believe is communion, and prayers. But the church was built upon the apostles and what they taught, which was based on what Jesus taught, who was the cornerstone. So it says, and when a flood arose, notice it didn't say if a flood arises, it says when, okay? Everyone in this room is either going through a flood, has been through a flood, or... Life is full of tragedies. Life brings divorce, cancer, bankruptcy, layoffs, bad economies, you name it, death of children, death of grandparents. We, the list could go on and on of things that you will go through. No one is immune. You say, well, Gary, why does this have to happen? <clears throat> because Adam and Eve sinned against God. They brought a curse upon this planet, and everybody on this planet lives under that curse, and therefore, everybody suffers under that curse. And Jesus came to 
remove the curse. Adam was told that even his work would be cursed, that he there'd be thorns involved in his work of harvesting, and that he ever been stuck by a thorn, you know? And so that brings out blood. So Jesus took that curse and he put it upon his head and wore a, thorn, a crown of thorns to take away the curse. And when he comes again, all those will disappear. In heaven, there'll be no more death, nor dying, nor sadness, nor sorrow, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more bankruptcy, none of those things. And the people that we lost, if they knew Christ, they will be there. But in the meantime, floods will happen. So you have two guys building a house, and they're both going to be hit by the floods. He goes on to say that the stream broke. So evidently a nearby stream, not we're talking about a trickling stream, we're talking about enough with heavy water and a full volume of content here. It says it broke. It broke its banks, and it was flowing against the house. But it could not shake it. Why? Because it had been well built. Why? Because it had been built upon a foundation. It had been dug down deep. And that foundation is Christ and his teaching and the teaching of the apostles and the, and the prophets. So we're building a house. It's a nice house, right? And in this house that we're building called our life, there's several things involved. There's your marriage. There's your kids. There is your, um, what's that say? Finances. Sorry, from here I can't read that. Um, and then there's also there, your church family is involved. And there's also your schooling and education for you and your kids. All those things are involved. But the only way that this house called your life will survive if it's built on the foundation of Jesus and his apostles. What the world teaches you is you don't have to do those things. You don't have to build upon the foundation. Just get started. Just start building. So what makes your life secure against the floods that are to come? Many people trust under education. Well, I've got a PhD. I can get a job anywhere. I can do whatever I want. Well, maybe not. That doesn't mean your, merit, your education may not save your marriage. What about uh, your earning potential? Well, I'm a hard worker. I'm ethical. I've been trained well. I can earn anything. What will that do about your kids that go astray? Just going to go to work more? Um, you say, well, I've got a winning personality. People like me. I'll survive through all this. You know, cancer doesn't care about your personality. What about your looks? Many people bank on that. Then I will find the right person because I'm good looking. I, I, will, I win with people and all that stuff. Those, that doesn't solve every life's problems. Unfortunately, many people nowadays look to the government. The government is their savior. They want the government to solve all their problems. Make, if something I don't like happens, make it illegal. If somebody says something to hurt my feelings, call it hate speech. If I don't want to work, give me a check. Just help me do something. And we, we lean upon the government way too hard. Nowadays, people lean on their parents all the time. You, things aren't going well. You're 38. Move back in with your parents. They've got, a, they've got Xbox there. You'll be happy. Everything will be fine. And people just, they turn, they self-medicate. Drugs and alcohol are their solution for the floods that come in their life. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, the answer for the floods that come into your life is Jesus. He's the only rock that will get you through. Everything else is a temporary fix that will probably make your problem worse in the end. When we are under the authority of Jesus, the security of his foundation is under us. Do you see that? Putting yourself under the authority of Jesus puts his foundation under you and makes life secure. So we've seen this question, why do you call me Lord, Lord? 
Then we see the example of someone building a house on the foundation. Now he gives us an example of someone not being under the authority. He says, but the one who hears and does not do them. So he's heard the same thing about Jesus, but he chooses not to do them. He doesn't, call, he doesn't truly make Jesus Lord. And he's choosing not to do them. So here's what our conclusion is. As sinful human beings, we constantly rebel against God's authority. That, that's just our nature. That's what we do. That's what Adam and Eve did. Think about potentially the thousands of trees Adam and Eve had, and they're told one tree, don't touch it. Their excuse was, well, I'm hungry. No. Banana tree, apple tree, kumquat tree, avocado, all, go help yourself. All, all those things are available, but they want the one thing that they could not have. They rejected God's authority. That's what we do by nature. Cain had everything going right, but he wanted to sacrifice from his own works to impress God. God's like, no, no, no. You know, why are you so upset? If you do what's right, won't everything be okay? God had a face-to-face -face conversation with Cain before he killed his brother, and he chose to kill him anyway. In Judges chapter 17, verse 6, it says, everyone did what was right, how? In his own eyes. If that is not the country we live in today, I don't know what is. You do you, you determine your own truth, and I'll determine what's right for me. You determine, and you know, let who am I to judge? And it's all that, it's like everybody just doing their own thing and chaos erupts. Even Jonah, a prophet of God says, I'm not doing it. I'm getting in a ship and I'm sailing in the exact opposite direction. Psalm two says, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. You know, this is still happening today. Countries are literally getting together, trying to figure out how can we get rid of Christianity, get rid of the Bible. You know, it's interesting that an app can tell you who has COVID near you. And they can find Osama bin Laden somewhere hidden in Pakistan. But they can't arrest pedophiles and all these people who are trafficking millions of kids all over the planet. Why don't you hear about that? Why is that not being destroyed? Why are, We can send billions for Ukraine and Russia to fight it out. And we can't spend billions to stop people from kidnapping your children and selling them into sex trafficking. You know why? Because they're the ones running it. <laughs> we have people on the highest levels of our government and around the world involved in this. Why does Epstein all of a sudden show up dead? <laughs> oh, wow, another one of their friends committed suicide. Wow, it's surprising. It's because they don't want to be exposed. The nations of this world are doing this all together. 28 million people involved in human trafficking. People being kidnapped all the time. And what's happening is because corruption is from the top down. I'm not saying everybody in government's evil. I'm saying a lot of them are. <laughs> and the reason we can't, we can stop what we want to stop. Okay. It's just all about the money. You think about all the world conflicts that are happening right now, Ukraine and Russia. Why is that happening? Because of the Black Sea. Because it slows down shipping and we got to ship our oil because we need the money. You look at other conflicts around the world, they're all located near a sea and they're shipping. Why are we, why are we bombing Iran right now? Because of supporting the Houthis. It's because they're blocking the Suez Canal and we got to get our oil. We got to get our money. It's all about money. It's not about, oh, we got we to gotta help people be free. Why are we not then going to Sudan? Or why are we not going to Nigeria where they're killing kill Christians by the thousands and stopping that? 
it's just because it's, it's not about right and wrong. They'll give you their speeches about all these things. But anyway, the nations of the world, the planet we live on, is shaking their fist in the face of God, saying, you will not rule over us. In Psalm 2, the, next, the verse goes on and says, and we are against his anointed. Who is the anointed of God? Jesus. They're against him. They say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We're not going to be handcuffed by God. He can't tell us what to do. We're going to live however we want to do. Older generation, my grandparents said this in the Frank Sinatra and the most famous song in one of all-time history, I did it my way. It's an, it's an anthem celebrating the rebellion of man against God, and it's popular. And you, but it continues, even in our cartoons. It's, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I am free. Free from what? Free from these limitations of right and wrong. I'm not going to live by anybody's rules. You say, well, Gary, you know, it's, some songs are more subtle than others. Some songs are not subtle at all. The music today just flat out says we're satanic when we're not, when we're proud of it. You know, uh, they sing songs like all girl, good girls go to hell. They come out, they worship Satan on these award shows, and they just sing about Satan, and they just talk about anti-God, anti-Christian, and they don't even, they don't even hide it anymore. Be careful what you listen to and what you let your kids listen to. But this is the theme of our music. This is the theme of our politics. We don't want to do what God wants us to do. We are rebels at heart. He says, but the one who hears and does not do them. Notice there's no excuse here. It's not like, well, I never heard. I didn't know right from wrong. I just, I just chose to do it, but I, I was ignorant. This person heard and still chose in rebellion not to do them. He's like a man who builds his house on the ground without a foundation, on the ground without a foundation. Let's think about this. We can say, well, it's natural. That's what God gave us the ground for. Let's just build upon it. It's natural. I'm just doing what comes naturally. And, and it's even easier. Golly, all that digging, that's a lot of work. I'm just going to take a shortcut here. I'm going to do what's, what's faster and what's easier. I'm just going to go with that. And, and besides, it's, it's a whole lot cheaper. You know how much labor you have to hire to dig down deep and how much concrete's involved in pouring a foundation? All these things are shortcuts. When you consider, as we studied weeks ago, the temptation of Christ, what was Satan tempting him to do? Tempting him to take a shortcut. He said, all the kingdoms of the world will be yours if you'll bow down and worship me. Satan always offers shortcuts, easier, quicker, instant gratification. Meet my needs now, the microwave society. He was offering him a crown without a cross. Jesus, you don't have to go through all that death, burial, and resurrection thing, that torture. I'll give you a crown. People will worship you right now, but if you'll worship me. Satan's temptations always involve shortcuts. He offers you wealth without work. He offers you sexual pleasure without selfless parenting. He offers you gratification without the grind. He wants to give you a paycheck without the performance, respect without responsibility, delight without discipline, salvation without a savior, and love without limits. That's what Satan wants. It's all shortcuts, the easy way out. So this is a picture of someone not wanting to be under authority. So when, and again, not if streams come, when they will come, hard times will come, they broke against it, and this house, what happened? It immediately fell. And the ruin of that house was 
very great. There's a really good book I'd recommend to you by Dr. Tim Keller, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And in this book, he talks about the house of today's culture is built on the ground of four things. These are the four things that are what all throughout the media today. This is the first thing is yourself or your identity. It's all about me, myself, and this is how I identify. You see, the world says the problem is out there and your solution is in here. Just look within, find the real you, and that will solve all that's out there. The Bible says, no, the problem is here and the solution is out there. The solution is outside of yourself. God is your solution. And he needs to change what's on the inside. But the world says, no, this is me. This is what I identify as. This is myself. I need to discover myself. And if I discover myself, I will be truly free. And if I'm free, I'll be happy. And if I'm happy, I'll I'll have power. And those are the four things our culture is obsessed with. It's all about me, myself, and I. And I'm free to do whatever I want to do and whatever makes me happy. And that gives me the power to solve my own problems. And that if you live that life, your house will collapse. It's like building a house with no foundation whatsoever. You can choose this, the house that will collapse eventually, or you can choose to build yourself on the teachings of Jesus Christ and his apostles. We sit there and you think, oh, that's just what the Bible says. That's just old, oppressive religion and things like that. But just look at the results. Look at Miley Cyrus. Look at anybody who's been famous for any amount of time. Drugs. Divorce, suicide, over and over and over again. They just seem like they crash and burn, crash and burn. And you say, well, you know, if I won the lottery, I'd be really happy. Do you know the people who win the lottery, their divorce rate quadruples, their suicide rate triples? People, just just read any books out there, just, just Google it. What happens to people who win the lottery? Within a few years, they are depressed on medication, if not committing suicide. Their life falls apart because they're thinking that all this will make them happy. So we've seen the question of authority, the picture of someone is an authority, and then the picture of someone who's not. And that brings us to a really life example of someone that was under the authority. So after he had finished all his sayings, so Luke has given you a clue. Think about this. He just preached the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, and in this case, the Sermon on the Plain when he preached it again in another location. Here's the greatest sermon ever, and after he said all this, he enters into this town, Capernaum. Capernaum was a good town because they were known for believing in Jesus, and therefore he performed a lot of miracles there. And so on the heels of this Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, you meet this guy, the centurion. Roman centurions, they were named that because how many many years are in a century? A hundred. So under a centurion, there'd probably be a hundred men, give or take. And so he was a commander of a lot of people. And this centurion, he had a servant. He had someone working for him who was sick, he was so sick he's at the point of death. Matthew tells us specifically what's wrong with this guy. He says, Lord, my servant uh, is paralyzed. Some translations say it a palsy, a disease that resulted in paralyzed, and he's suffering terribly. So he's about to die, he's suffering terribly, he's, whatever he has has paralyzed him, and he's in, in great anguish. And the centurion heard about Jesus. How did he hear about Jesus? Someone had, he didn't read, he didn't Google it. He didn't listen to a podcast. He didn't watch him on television. Someone had to tell him. There are centurions in your life that need to hear from you about Jesus. And if we don't open our mouth, what if someone 
had never told this guy. This, this story wouldn't even be happening. It says, and he sent him to him the elders of the Jews, asking him to come to heal his servant. So this guy is a Roman, but he, he really loves and respects the Jews, as we'll see here in a moment. And he says, hey, would you go ask Jesus? I've heard about him, and my servant, I don't want him to die. He's in great pain. I want Jesus to please come heal him. Would you go ask on my behalf? Rabbinical law, not the Bible, but just rabbi's tradition forbade Jews, especially rabbis, from entering the house of a Gentile. But Jesus is like, Jesus is like I'll go. <laughs> I forget. I don't care about your rabbinical rules. It's not in the Bible. And it says, and when he had entered Capernaum, a century came, centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Now notice Matthew says something different than what Luke said. And skeptics will say, aha, see contradiction in the Bible. Well, let's just, again, look at it carefully. Every time I see what people call contradictions, the solution is super easy. It's a, so the question is, is this a contradiction? Let me ask you a question. When the media reported a few weeks ago that President Biden bombed Iran, did President Biden literally get in a plane and pull the lever to make the bombs drop? No. When, when you order someone to do something, and you can say that, you know, uh, Obama, he captured Osama bin Laden. Well, did he literally, was he the one that walked into the house and shot him? No. Anytime an authority orders someone to do something, we give the authority credit. So when the Bible says the centurion asked Jesus, Luke tells us he sent leaders to ask Jesus. There's no contradiction there. Another explanation could possibly be that, that uh, the centurion came in person after he'd sent the leaders. In other words, the elders went, got Jesus, and as Jesus got close to the house, the centurion then came out in person and asked later. Either one, there's a reasonable explanation for it without saying contradiction. So the centurion had a, a servant, and he's highly valued. The word highly valued means he's precious to him. This guy wasn't a typical Roman centurion who didn't value people at all. In fact, Romans believed that if your servant was sick and it cost more to cure him than he made you profit, you had a right to execute him. So most Roman centurions did not value servants at all. This guy does. He sees the humanity. In the chosen, by the way, this is Gaius. No spoiler alert there, sorry. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, hey, this centurion, he's worthy to have you go to his house and do that. Now, notice that their words. Here's why he's worthy. He loves our nation. And he's one who he built our, he's the one who built our synagogue. We didn't have the money to do it or whatever. And he donated money. Now, did he literally lay the bricks to build the synagogue? No, he funded it. He probably ordered the workers, whatever it may be. So let's look at this qualifications of what the people think makes him worthy. He cherishes his servant. That's a good thing. Most people didn't do that. They disrespected servants. The community respects him greatly. They all think highly of him. He loves Israel. He loves, loves the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. He's the one that built the synagogue, and he admires Jesus. Man, if anybody deserved to have their servant healed, this guy does. So Jesus went. Jesus could have spoken the word, but he's going to this Gentile's house. He's going to go against what all the rabbis would recommend he not do. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends See, he didn't send servants. This guy is loved. He has friends, and friends are willing to talk to Jesus on behalf of him. And saying, Lord, notice he's acknowledging the lordship of Christ. Do not trouble yourself. And the people just said, hey, he's worthy. And he says, I'm not worthy. 
You see the difference there? Everybody thought he was worthy and had a whole list of reasons why. And he's like, no, no, I'm not worthy. In fact, I, I just realized asking you to come into a Gentile's house is probably going to put you in a bad shape. You know what? Just don't worry about coming here. You just speak the word. He says, you don't need to come under my roof. You, the Lord of heaven and earth, you don't need to come under this Gentile's house. And I'm sure when he said that, he's thinking of all the things he'd ever done wrong and thinking how he's not worthy. And, and it's amazing what happens here. This is producing to us what we call the paradox of salvation. If you're lost, pay close attention to this. If you think you're worthy, that someday when you die and you stand before God, well, God, I was a good person. I volunteered at the homeless shelter. And I, 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 didn't, I wasn't really that bad as everybody else. And a lot of people were worse than me. I, I, I'm worthy. If you think you're worthy, you're not. <laughs> you're not at all. When we think we impress God with all our righteousness, he says, all your righteousness is as filthy rags. There's none righteous. No, not one. And so the, I, the paradox is when you admit that, you know what, God, I am not worthy. I've done so many things that I'm ashamed of. I've done so many things I'm embarrassed. I've been selfish. I've been greedy. And, and I don't deserve to be in heaven at all. I don't, I'm not worthy of you dying for me. Then Jesus makes you worthy. <laughs> Isn't that interesting how the, the thing is to, totally upside down from God's way of thinking and humanity's way of thinking. They're so opposite. He said, therefore, I didn't presume. I don't expect that you owe me, God. I didn't presume you'd come to me. But if you'll just say the word. Charles Spurgeon has a great quote about this. He says that your faith will not murder you, your humility. Your humility will not stab at your faith. But the two will go hand in hand to heaven. Like a brave brother and a fair sister, the one bold as a lion, the other meek as a dove, the one rejoicing in, the Jesus, in Jesus, the other blushing at self. Faith and humility go hand in hand. And this, this is what's developing in this centurion's heart. He's getting faith in Christ, but it's making him humble, helping him see that he's not worthy, even though everybody thinks that he is. He said, I didn't presume about it. He said, but if you will just say the word. He's speaking to the one who spoke the universe into existence. I know what you can do. You, you, you don't have to touch my servant. You don't have to be in the same room. You just simply say the word and my servant will be healed. He says, for I too, watch this. Who's he referencing? He's talking to Jesus says, Hey, I too am a man set under authority. That's some powerful stuff right there. He's saying, I recognize, Jesus, that you, even though you're God and you're powerful, you've put yourself under the authority of God, the Heavenly Father. And I understand the position you're in. He said, so I've got soldiers under me, and I say, go, and, and one goes. And, and so in, in John 8, 28, this is a parallel principle here. It says, so Jesus said to them that I do nothing of my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. Is Jesus God? Yes. Is the Holy Spirit God? Yes. But they choose to willingly submit to the Heavenly Father. It's just like in a marriage. A, hus a husband and a wife are 100% equal. There's, not, there, there's total equality in the eyes of God, but yet a wife can choose to submit to their husband just like Jesus chooses to submit to the Heavenly Father. And to another, he said, I say, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. It's ironic that he's talking about his servant who's sick, and at the same time, he's talking about when his servant, when any of his servants do what they tell him to do. 
So it goes back to that question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I tell you? He's like, here, this guy's a living principle. I have servants. They do what I tell them to do. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've got people who call me their master, and they don't do what I tell them to do. And he's like, I get what you're saying, Jesus. And Jesus, the, 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 the principle here is abundantly clear. It's about authority. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. He's like, wow. And this is a hyperlink back to a few chapters. When the last time Jesus marveled, it was in the city of Nazareth, and they wouldn't believe anything. And he's like, you won't believe? I mean, you've heard what I've done, and you don't want to believe? And here he's marveling. Wow, look at this guy. He's a Roman, and he believes. If you remember back to the introduction of Luke, the audience of Luke is Gentiles. And all throughout Luke, you see, like this centurion, the heroes are Gentiles. To say, hey, no, Christianity is not just for Jews. God is not just for Jews. It's for the whole world. And you too can be like the centurion. He says, you know, he marveled him and turned into the crowd that followed him. I tell you, you crowd, you mostly Jewish people here, not even in your country, Israel, have I found such faith. Look what this Gentile has believed and chosen to do. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Go figure. Jesus said it. He was healed. Are you willing, like this centurion, to humbly ask Jesus for help, admitting that you're not worthy of it and submitting to his authority over your life? This morning's message is all about authority. And I'm like you. There's part of me is like, ah, I just want to do my own thing. I just want to do what I want to do. God is not trying to be some mean ogre to run and ruin your life. He has a great plan for your life. He will lead to true happiness, not artificial things that the world offers. He will give you true joy deep down inside in spite of circumstances. No matter how bad things get, no matter how the floods go against your house, your house will stand if it's built upon the faith in Jesus Christ. In Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin, which all of us have committed sin, including the man standing before you, we all deserve to die because of our sin. But the free gift, not something you earn, not some list of things you do to get this, but you, Jesus offers a free gift. What is that free gift? It's his own life on the cross for you. If you'll receive that free gift of salvation, say, yes, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. I've received the forgiveness you bought for me on the cross you will have eternal life that's offered only through him. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For our sake, God made Jesus to become sin, the one who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you stand before God in judgment day, it can't be on your own righteousness because we have none. But if Christ is in you, you have all of his righteousness. Everything Jesus ever did that was right, which was everything, is all now placed in your bank account as you stand before God. And all of the sins you've ever committed are all washed and wiped away by the blood of Christ. It says, as I mentioned before, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, are you willing to do that today? Even if you know that you're saved, are you living like it? Are you doing the things he asked you to do? Do you really profess, yes, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life today, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. My choices are all in your hands. <clears throat> Who do you want me to marry, Jesus? I'll do it. What job do you want me to pursue? I'll do it. Where, what school, college do you want me to go to? I'll do it. Every decision 
It's in your hands, Lord Jesus. If you'll make that decision today and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a great promise. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this great story of authority. And Lord, again, my heart rebels against it. I don't like to be told what to do. But Lord, I've trusted you and I know that you leave only the best for those who leave that choice up to you. So Father, I thank you for the life that you give us. I pray that we would humble ourselves. We would see ourselves in the mirror, our sins and our flaws, and we would let the blood of Christ wash them all away. Father, we, uh, I pray if there's one here today who's never made the decision to give their life to Christ, that they would do that today, that they would let go of the rebellion in the heart and they would accept the love of Christ and they would choose to give their life to him. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have questions about all this, you say, hey, this is, I don't know, this is a lot of information. I'm not, I don't know if that I'm there yet. Here's my phone number. Call me, text me. I'll buy you a smoothie or a cup of coffee or something. Let's talk and let's get these decisions settled in your heart and your mind. If you can think of someone that you wish was sitting here in church with you today to hear a message like this, invite them to join you for church next Sunday. There's invitation cards at the back that have a QR code and all the details about church right there. And so, um, actually, let me do, I'm going to do question and answer quickly here. Uh, Ashley, would you help me with question and answer? And the band's already ready. Here we go. Okay. Good morning, Ashley. How are you? Great. There's the first question right there. Regarding South Drive Baptist Church, if it's okay to share, why do they not have a pastor? Um, their pastor was called to another church. as a friend of mine, Kent Wilson, and um, he has always had a heart for discipleship, and a church in Katy asked him to come be the discipleship pastor. So there are seasons and times when pastors move and move on. Um, I've had that in my own life. You know, I, when I was at Berean Baptist for 10 years, and God called me to pastor First Baptist Church in Clute. And so seasons change, things uh, change. And so he left on great terms. There was no problem there. Um, he j- and so uh, he's the one that actually gave me their information so that we could help, be of help to them. That's all the questions. I actually had one. Do you think it's possible that the centurion was potentially at the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain? Because of how much time it might take Jesus to go from the Plain to Capernaum? That's a great question. I, I have no way of knowing um, there's nothing in the text where he referenced it. I don't know. That's a great question. Do you think, I mean, believing, being, seeing Jesus, I mean, I'm sure the centurion at some point may have actually physically seen him. Yeah. But yeah. Um, no, I, I, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I think he'd heard the teachings of Jesus at some point. But they're also told us that he loves our nation and he built the synagogue. So I don't think he did that for no reason. I think he had been exposed to the teachings of Torah, which point to Christ. And that's why his heart was made ready. I think that's a a pretty safe bet, I would think, on that. Got one more. Are Adam and Eve in heaven? Um, I believe yes. Um, The picture of salvation is there because um, he covered, how did he clothe them? Skins. And where do skins come from? An animal. So an animal had to die in order to cover their sin. The animal had done nothing wrong, probably a lamb, but we don't know. The lamb had done nothing wrong. Adam and Eve are the ones who rebelled against God, but God killed and sacrificed that 
And of course, the lamb is a picture of who? Of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is right there at the very beginning, all throughout the Old Testament. I believe Adam and Eve received the clothing and they wore it. So I believe that's a picture of them receiving the forgiveness of sin. So yes, I would believe that they are in heaven. Any others? All right. We're going to sing. Let's stand and do that.